Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So I want to tell you a story to start off, and I'm going to mispronounce some names, so just get ready. Uh, So here we go. This is a story about mistaken identity. A Brazilian car washer named Gibraltar Arujo was literally walking down the street minding his own business when a guy he knew approached him and said, Hey, did you know that you're dead and your family's going to your funeral? And Arujo kind of patted himself down and he said, Well, I don't actually think I'm dead. And his friend said, There's a coffin and you're in it. And then Arujo said, I don't think so. And he decided maybe he ought to go and find out and see what was going on. So according to the BBC, Arujo crashed his own funeral and people started screaming and freaking out and running away, just as you probably would too uh, if the zombie apocalypse was happening and you suddenly realized that one of your friends had been miraculously resurrected from the dead at his own funeral. So what was the deal with the dead guy that wasn't really dead? Well, there was actually a body in the coffin and it was actually the body of someone who washed cars for a living. And it just so happened that the dead car washing guy looked enough like Gibraltar Arujo that Arujo's brother actually misidentified his corpse. Maybe Arujo's acquaintance could have gone to the funeral and maybe given them a bit of a heads up, but instead he didn't. But sometimes, sometimes when we are misidentified, it causes some pretty big problems, right? Our identity, our name, who we are, our family heritage, that's important to us. Who we are makes a difference. So last week we began to talk a lot about Jacob and Esau. Their story is one dealing with the importance of identity, and we can see that this emphasis is shown even on their names themselves, right? So we talked about this last week, how the name Esau means hairy, as we saw that Esau was born fully covered in thick hair, And the name Jacob means grabber or supplanter, since Jacob was born grabbing the heel of his older brother Esau. So as the story of Jacob and Esau continues, we saw how Jacob purchased Esau's birthright from him with a bowl of soup. Uh, And this was kind of a huge deal for the entire family since it affected every single person in that family. A A birthright was reserved for the firstborn son of a family during biblical times, and that birthright guaranteed the oldest son a double inheritance of the portion, or a double portion of the inheritance of the father's belongings. He would also be the religious ruler of the family. He would help lead people uh, in their relationship with God, and he would also be the judge in that family. So, if there were any family disputes, the father or the, that young boy who grows up to be the head of the household, he gets to make decisions uh, for any arguments that might arise. So now Jacob. Instead of Esau was going to be that son who inherited that birthright. And so that gave him an actual larger portion of the family's inheritance. It gave him the ability to be the priest for the family. And it also meant that he got to make important decisions that affected everyone down the line. Jacob had effectively supplanted the authority that should have been given to Esau for a bribe of hot soup, right? Last week, we also got to see that Jacob not only underhandedly bought Esau's birthright for a bowl of soup, but Jacob also tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that should have gone to Esau instead. 
So the blessing is just kind of this beautiful religious moment where a father before he dies, uh, usually on his deathbed, would pray for God's blessing over the oldest son that, that his land and his territory would increase and that God would always be with him. This was an expected moment that the father of every family would have extended to the oldest son so that God would guide their decision making and increase the family's prosperity. But in the second devious act of Jacob, with, along with his mother, Rebekah, we see that Jacob used his cunning and a little bit of his mom's help to cover himself with goat fur so that he could make for his blind father feel like he was his older brother, Esau. Jacob then cooked a delicious meal for his father. He dresses himself in Esau's clothes so that he could smell like Esau because they didn't have you know, great laundry detergent back then. And then he presents himself to Isaac as Esau. And Isaac, not being able to see, feels Jacob's goat-skin-covered fur, and he smells uh, Esau's clothes on Jacob. He proceeds to pray the blessing over Jacob instead of Esau. We then got to see that in the second act of trickery, act of trickery, Esau got so mad that in this moment, he vowed that once his father Isaac had passed away, that he was going to find his brother and murder him. We ended last week with Jacob fleeing for his life and he goes to uh, a, a place that's not too terribly far away, but just far enough away to escape Esau's anger and his wrath. And he lives with his uncle where his uncle gives him his two daughters to marry. Trickily, Leah first, and we got to see last week that the, uh, uh, the Bible does not give Leah any sort of grace and says that she's basically a weak-eyed cow, which means she is an ugly woman, sadly. But the Bible tells us that Rachel was beautiful and had a great figure, and her name means you, or like a beautiful white sheep. Rachel was depicted as beautiful, while Rachel was depicted as not so attractive, and Jacob got tricked into marrying both of them. Jacob, in the last moments that we read together last week, kind of reaped a bit of what he had sown. He was tricked in a very amusing way, and that trickery began last week, a change in Jacob that we get to explore a little bit more this week. So if we pick up where we left off last week, we get to see Jacob starting his family with his two wives. So let's read about Jacob and his children together. You can follow along on your screen. So let's read what the Word has for us today. This starts in Genesis chapter 29, verses 31, and we'll move on to 30, verse 22. Here's what it says. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she named him, or she said, Because the Lord heard that I, ha I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I will die. This is kind of reminiscent of what happened last week with Esau. He was so hungry. He said, I, give me some of that soup or I will die. But Jacob then became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? 
Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son because, she named, because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have a great struggle with my sister and I have one. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy am I? The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. She named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. The Leah, then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. So it's crazy that in this part of the story, we get to see how Jacob's children were born. Uh, and it's kind of like a bit of a soap opera, right? So not just one wife, but Jacob starts off with two, Leah and Rachel. And then you add Zilpah and Bilhah, both of these ladies' uh, maidservants, and you add them into the mix. And you have this weird situation that seems like it's almost perfectly made for television. Between all of the women in the story, Jacob had a total of 12 sons and one daughter. And we don't hear about the last one until a little bit later on, but I'll tell you his story in a moment. Each one of these children, each one of these sons, was named in a way that spoke to the situation for what was going on in the lives of the mother, and it spoke to the joy that these children were going to bring to Jacob and his family. So let's look at Reuben. Reuben means, look a son. Yep, that's it. Look, it's a boy. It's a son, Reuben. Simeon, the second son, means God is one who hears. Levi means being attached or being attached to someone, being attached specifically to God. Judah means praise. Dan means to vindicate. Naphtali means to struggle. Gad means good fortune. Asher means to make me happy. Issachar means he is my reward. Zebulun, he is my honor. Dinah is a girl, so her name doesn't matter, and it's not important and not talked about here, but really her name is important, and her name means God is my judge, and we don't ever hear about that because the rest of the scriptures talk about what the names mean within themselves, but Dinah we don't hear about until we have to look up her name. Joseph means, may he add to my family, and then later on, 
Rachel has a last son, and she names him. And this is what's weird. Most of the time, the fathers do the naming, but she names him in this time Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. The reason that she names him that is because as they're traveling back to Canaan later on, and she's giving birth on the way to Canaan, she knows that she's going to die, and she actually ends up dying in childbirth. But she names him, sees that she has this son, and calls him son of my sorrow because she knows that she's leaving the world. And Jacob said, no, my son will not be known as son of my sorrow. And he changes his name from Ben-Oni to Benjamin, Benjamin, which means son of my right hand or son of blessing. So I don't know about you, uh, and I don't know if you have kids, but when I started having kids, it definitely began to change a little bit about who I was, right? So having kids really makes you kind of start to reevaluate and second guess every single thing about your life. For instance, before I started having kids, I actually was pretty daring. There was not a tree I wouldn't climb. There was not a game of tackle football I wouldn't jump in on. Uh, there was not a forest I wouldn't hike in alone. I used to actually be pretty willing to, be, to do just about anything until I started having children because I found that I became a lot more cautious and thought about, for the first time, the repercussions of what happens if I'm not around. So I stopped driving old, unreliable cars, and my wife and I began to buy newer cars, you know, cars with air conditioning that were less than 10 years old and that actually ran every time we turned the key. I stopped working underneath cars without jack stands, and instead of, you know, using bricks and, and sticks to hold up the car, I started using jack stands. I actually stopped hanging Christmas lights at our house because, for me, I didn't want to take a chance. Having kids changed me quite a bit as a man, and if you have kids, I imagine there were some things in your life that you changed. It's safe to say and it's safe to bet that the family that Jacob had started began to change Jacob too. After all, he has a family to look after now and to take care of. He has to be the best man that he can be to raise his children right, to follow God, to, to prosper in the land. And so while the Bible doesn't specifically talk about it, I'm sure that as he aged and as his children began to grow, Jacob also became wiser and realized that his trickery had done nothing but caused him trouble. Even now, he was on the run for his life from his brother that he had tricked. He had to live in a land that was far away from his family for 20 years to avoid the wrath of Esau. Jacob must have realized that the only way that he could be faithful to God and receive forgiveness was to make a change as to how he began to live his life. Jacob needed to stop his trickery. He needed to stop focus on supplanting or um, falsely taking over his brother's things and instead become honest and humble. So the next part of Jacob's story that we get to talk about is what happens when people begin to grow and to change. So now that Jacob is a married man and has lots and lots and lots of kids, Jacob is beginning to mellow out a little bit. At this point in his life, he wants to leave his uncle's home and he wants to go back to his homeland. He wants to go back and be where his mother is. He wants to go back and see what's going on with his brother. He wants to go back into what he used to know. So let's pick up on the story as Jacob begins to make the changes necessary to make his way back to his home. Let me set the stage. So after a little bit more drama, Jacob packs up his wife and his children and all like all of his stuff 
and he makes a caravan back to the land of Canaan where he was from. But before he heads back home, he wants to make sure that when he gets back there, he's safe to live there. And so he sends a messenger to find his brother Esau. And here's where we pick up today in Genesis chapter 32. You can follow along verses 3 through 30. It's a lot to read, but it'll be on your screen. Let's read this today. It says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two different groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God, my father, or God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there. From what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you come to meet him and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all, or he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So this is a really, really interesting story 
in the middle of another really, really interesting story, right? So, so to set the scene again, Jacob is, is getting ready to go to his homeland. He's going to you know, try to pacify his brother, and he's so afraid that he's going to be conquered and destroyed that he sends his family into two different directions. You know, he sends all of his servants one way, and his wife and his children and all of his possessions in another way, just in case if Esau gets angry and destroys one, he may not destroy the other. And in the midst of this story, as he sends his, his stuff, as he sends a gift out to Esau, and he sends his things that his wife and his children, or his wives and his children, he sends all of his things on the way, he has, has this weird moment where he starts wrestling with a man, randomly, just pops up and randomly wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. And then the man says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And he says, no longer is your name Jacob. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have wrestled with God and humanity. And he changes in that moment, Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. The scripture tells us that this man, it, oh, the scripture implies really that this man is not a man that this man is an angel of the Lord or an emissary of God. And that's why he names that place where he wrestled with this angel, Peniel, because Peniel means, I see God face to face. So the naming and the meanings behind the name continues on, even in the names of places. And this encounter, this encounter with this man, this, this angel, this God face to face, it helped change who Jacob was. Both literally changed his name from Jacob to Israel and figuratively. From that moment on, it says that Jacob would walk with a limp because of his hip. Jacob would no longer be known as Jacob, but instead he would, become, he would come to be known as Israel. And commentators differ on what the name Israel actually means, what the literal interpretation should be. The text of Genesis etymologizes the name with the root sarah, to rule or contend, to have power over or prevail over. But modern suggestions read the L as the subject for the translation of L, or God rules, God judges, God struggles, or it may even mean God struggles with or fights and struggles with God. So it's kind of interesting. If you, if you do the etymology of these names, you might come up with a name that could mean either he who struggles with God, or it could mean the man that God rules over. So depending on the translation, his name either means someone who struggles with the authority of God or someone who's completely under the rule of God. And I kind of like that one better. But the only way that you could determine whether Israel was really changed, if he really lived under the rule of God, was by examining his life. And the beautiful part of the story is that from this moment on, Israel puts his old ways behind him and he makes himself God's loyal subject. I mean, of course, he's clearly not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But from this moment on, Jacob's identity shifts to Israel and his whole person is changed. And he finally becomes the man that God intended him to be. And then Israel meets his brother. So can you imagine after 20 years of not seeing your brother, uh, you're, you're getting ready to go back into the land and you're getting ready to, to confront him and 400 men for the very first time in two decades. Can you imagine what 
anxiety he would have felt, the fear that might have been rushing through his body, the adrenaline, like that feeling. I, I couldn't imagine it. But as he's getting ready to meet his brother and see him face to face, I'm sure Israel was dealing with a lot of fear. We get to read this story in Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 12. It says this, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. They wept. Then Esau looked up and he saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel. And they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that, I was, that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. So this great, incredible story about a man named Jacob shifts with not just uh, a story of identity change, not just a story of a young boy who is tricky and supplants his older brother. And he grows up and he changes who he is and God changes his whole identity, his name and all. But we also see this great story of reconciliation of two brothers who were split apart by poor decision making, fear, anxiety. It's amazing to me to see that as time went on and some revelations from God showed up in Jacob's life, that it changed who he was. And the great thing is that that same thing is true for us. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of focus. It takes a lot of revelation from God for us to become the people that God has created each one of us to be too. Jacob finally got it, right? When he became Israel, he realized that life wasn't just fine if you lived it for yourself, but it was much better when you begin to live your life for others. And Jacob now has the opportunity to make things right with his brother. And his brother forgives him and they were reconciled to one another. But it took some wrestling with God to make that happen, right? Sometimes it takes something dramatic for us to change who we are. Sometimes it takes a dramatic change or an event in our lives that we may not even have any control over for us to recognize that God is moving in ways that we can't even see. Sometimes it takes a dramatic shift for us to become the people that God has created us to be. So today I want, to, I want you to hear this story and I want the story of identity and forgiveness to speak to you and speak directly to your heart today. 
So if you find yourself hurting or maybe you're stuck in a rut, sometimes it might take you pulling out your Bible and really wrestling with God before you can fully understand God's purpose for your life. So church today, my challenge to you is this. Find the areas in your life that God is calling you to change and begin making those moves. The only way that you'll be able to change as a person is by seeing what God has for you in his word. Seeing the stories of Jesus where God shows up in the world and begins to move in miraculous and life-changing ways. Only that knowledge, the knowledge that comes from God, can really begin to change who we are from the deepest part of our souls. So this means that each one of us has to open up our Bible, read about the qualities of God, read about the stories of God, read about our ancestors. Once we know who God is, once we begin to understand who he is, and the fact that we're created in his likeness, then and only then will we have the ability to make the changes necessary in our lives to be the people that God is calling us to be. So today, I pray to let your identity express the whole you. The you who bears the image of God. And let that image shine so the whole world can see the God who loves them through you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.